I'm really happy to introduce tonight's moderator, Dana Dubbs. Ms. Dubbs is owner of Dana Dubbs Communications. She is a marketing communications consultant specializing in healthcare and design. Ms. Dubbs works regularly with the California Healthcare Foundation and the Center for Health Design. A journalist by background, her work has appeared in Health Facilities Management Magazine and Contract Magazine. Please give a warm welcome to Ms. Dana Dubbs. Hey, thank you, and I'm delighted to be here. The topic of how healthcare design impacts people is enormous and it's complex. And I'm hoping that this evening we'll be able to cover some of the key ways that healthcare design contributes to patient healing and improved patient outcomes, which is the, the industry term. To help do that, we've got a very distinguished panel of three heavy hitters here, industry insiders. It's my pleasure to introduce them. Down at the end, we've got James Thimer. James is principal architect and founder of the award-winning Trilogy Architecture. Over the two decades since it was established in 1990, Mr. Thimer's firm has been involved in a broad range of projects in Northern California, from urban streetscapes to affordable and green senior housing to a rural health clinic. His firm has also designed parks, fountains, and other landscape projects. Mr. Thimer is devoted to environmentally friendly architecture, and Trilogy is working toward a goal of 100% LEED certification for its projects. Welcome. In the middle, we have Robin Orr. Robin Orr is president of the Robin Orr Group, a Santa Barbara-based consulting firm that works with healthcare systems, providers, architects, interior designers, and manufacturers. She was one of the pioneers of the Plain Tree Organization. Ms. Orr has also been a hospital administrator and was profiled in Hospitals and Health Networks magazine as a top innovator and entrepreneur. In 1999, she was the first recipient of the Center for Health Design's Changemaker Award. Welcome. Thank you. To my immediate left, Mary D. Hacker. Mary D. is Vice President for Patient Care Services and Chief Nursing Officer at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. She started her career there three decades ago as a staff nurse and has held various administrative nursing positions. She was the executive sponsor through the planning and design of a 317-bed tower for the hospital, which is set to open next year. She is a member of the Children's Hospital Los Angeles Board of Trustees. Welcome. Thank you. And just for show of hands, how many people out here are architects and designers? There's a new generation of hospitals and clinics on the rise. They're typically described as patient-focused healing environments. They're bright, they're airy, they're welcoming. They've got comfortable furnishings, soft lighting, artwork, healing gardens, not what probably many of us remember from growing up. Um, in the case of hospitals, they're often compared to hotels. Why is this emphasis on design important? What role does it play in the delivery of care and patient healing? Who would like to go first on that? I'd be happy to start. Okay. Um, in, in the world of healthcare, um, if you look back over the last 40 years, uh, 40 years ago, the purpose of a hospital was to cure a disease. And then over time, we began to look at the fact that that health is more than just the pathophysiology and the biology that is trying to be addressed. And it really is about creating an environment that supports the caring. 
of those involved in the care. We've now moved to a, a chapter in healthcare to pay, that pays attention to the environment and recognizing the fact that the environment has a lot to do with the whole process of healing. Um, we need to be addressing the noise, we need to be addressing the clutter, we need to be addressing the light and the nature that surrounds people. The research is at a very novice um, developmental stage of being able to really um, test what is the best environment, but we absolutely know that the old Florence Nightingale wardrooms were inadequate in being able to create a healing environment. We also know that um, health and healing is about the family unit, and it's not about the individual, and therefore the healthcare environment must include space that supports a family um, and being able to help empower the patient and the family to become knowledgeable and being able to prepare themselves for discharge. Well, I think one of the things that, that um, interests me is, uh, in my introduction, you've uh, left out the fact that I'm a member of the board of directors of the Center for Health Design. And um, uh, in 1994, we brought together the first group of people um, who were sort of a disparate group of people of a few architects, a couple of people in the lighting field, um, some providers, a couple of hospital administrators, and for the very first time brought together a group of people who began to think about this issue of how is it that we want to create hospitals of the future? How do we want to create healthcare facilities of the future? and that we, we would hear the architect's story, we would hear the nurse's story, we would hear a lot of different stories about what people thought a hospital should look like and feel like. But we didn't have much to go on. You know, we talked about the times when we were kids in, in, in hospitals where what's our, what's our memory, as we just said? It's when we had our tonsils out or something, and it's a dark, scary place and what have you. So, so we had just really no model, if you will, about what was really a healing environment. That word healing was never even used. I remember back in the day when, when we first started the Plain Tree Organization, we began to use words like healing or patient-centered, and people would look at you like, whoa, you must be from California. <laughs> Do you know? And it's true, I mean, you know, and, and so there was just, there was just you know, a whole lot of, of, of stuff that just had not been brought together in terms of research information, or just best practices, how we learn from one another, how do we share ideas. People would be sitting in their own little sort of silos talking about what they had learned and what they were doing, but people weren't really coming together to say, what is it that we can do here to create a, a body of knowledge? And I think that's where we're going to be talking about evidence-based design and how is it that, that we, over the course of time here, are finally feeling, you know, a little cocky about being able to stand up in front of a group of people and say, hey, we know something here. We've got some information that's absolutely critically important for CEOs, for physicians, for all those people who are the decision makers in building hospitals need to understand in order to be able to create those environments like you're creating at, at Children's Hospital. And one of the things I think that um, the one population that you, you may, might have said it, but I think we really need to emphasize it, um, in design, people weren't talking to those that were in the environment, meaning patients. Um, architects were talking about design. Nurses were talking about space that they needed to be able to deliver the care. 
but very few people were talking to the patients that were receiving the care about what would help them to be able to heal and move home knowledgeable and confident in, in their own responsibility. Absolutely. So I, I assume everyone who's here um, is looking to learn something. So, uh, and I know there are architects here, so we'll put you aside because you already actually know all these answers. But, um, and I'll disagree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. Okay, so... And I'll so, be twitting you and, and, and I think every day should be a learning experience. Today I learned that it takes five hours to change a tire on an airplane. So <laughs> I think that from an architectural standpoint, you mentioned that, um, you know, who do we talk to? That's a really good point. Who do we talk to? Uh, interestingly, as architects, we generally are, we sometimes are limited by our clients on who they think that uh, they want us to be involved with. And often because they have very strong opinions of what they want, and sometimes at the very high level. So you work really hard as an architect to work your way down to all those levels below the top end administration. Mm -hmm. Often if you talk to patients, if you have that access to them, it's interesting. I think you find their expectations are artificially low or they're low because they they are what they've grown up with. And so you say, what would you like if you could have anything? And they say, well, I'd, I'd love that if they'd close the door to the, you know, <laughs> the exam room. And so what you have to do really architecturally is you have to create, a, um, you have to create uh, rules that raise expectations. And in order to do that, you have to keep re- building on models that um, where architects or designers or administrators have worked together to get ever-improved models of design. Mm-hmm. So. One of the things we were talking about a little earlier is, um, Mary, do you were providing just a, painting a wonderful picture of what you're doing at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And one of, I think, the most interesting aspects is this um, play garden that's oh. in front of the hospital. Can you talk a little about why you did that? What message is that sending? Uh, Children's Hospital Los Angeles is smack in the middle of um, Hollywood. We're on Sunset in Vermont. And we had a lot of discussion, um, board members, donors, physicians, nurses, and our children about what a space should look like. And we made the decision, um, it was not an easy decision, but we made the decision that um, those that we serve are children of all ages. And um, an important image for a child is a playground because that is about what children do. And our job in a hospital is to honor what people do, and the most important work of a child is to play. And we made the decision to build a playground. As you pull onto the campus, the first thing a child will see is a playground, with the understanding that someday this child is going to be happy and healthy again and playing in the playground. Our playground is a universal access playground, which means that children of all abilities, able-bodied children will stand beside children with special needs and be able to play together. So the image is about this is a place that honors and supports children, and the image is the fact that all kids will play, no matter what his or her abilities are. And that was a decision made um, that I consider to be one of the finest decisions we made about a, a building and a new hospital building that's over $600 million in cost. And building a playground is a real statement to our kids and our families about who we are and what we honor, and that is about kids being kids. 
There's also there's a lot of there are a lot of changes that are happening in hospitals today. You know, there the lobbies are very welcoming. A lot of windows, <coughs> natural light. There's healing gardens, colors. I mean, that also says a lot about how the hospital values the patients that are coming there and makes a statement that this is a place to get well.、Um, like. To open this up, and, and you know, what are what are some of the innovative things that you've been doing? I know James, you've been involved in that as well.、Um, to send a message to people, and then once once they're admitted and once they're in the hospital, what are some of those things behind the scenes that the rest of us don't typically see that are there not just to help them get well, but to keep them healthy? Well, anything that we do, I think, starts with the notion from、uh, the client or from the the people that are running the organization that they want something different. So actually, it starts really early on with、uh, looking for someone who isn't necessarily.、Uh, when I speak about that, an architect that necessarily is、uh, specializing in healthcare. That can be sort of a dangerous thing, a dangerous path to go down. But more someone who sort of specializes in design, because as has been said,、uh, hospitals and clinics haven't always been designed as more put together or ad hoc, added to and added to and added to. So when you get to that point and you're talking about design, some of the opportunities you get, you're given by. Your、uh, by your client by your by your base because they're looking for something and that adds that offers a lot of opportunities.、Uh, in our case, we did things like create a、uh, rural health clinic, which because it was in a very small community, was actually designed as a health clinic slash community center to create connectivity with the community. That means it had a it had a small restaurant or cafe. It had a community room. It had conference rooms, a large lobby area where they could do uh, educational uh, events. To, to to it was it was really the way I refer to it is wellness design instead of health design because it, I think it's the whole、uh, sort of paradigm of where we're trying to go with medicine right now. Now I'm speaking as an architect, but what I'm getting back from people is we want to create spaces which promote. Health, as opposed to treat sickness, and as an architect, that gives you a lot more opportunities. Well, what a huge opportunity that is! I mean, we used to think about these hospitals as just places where people went to get fixed, right? So, I mean, now if we th- start thinking about it as, as educational places, places of learning, places of play, places of interaction, places of communities, like us being at this museum and having a community event. So, I think the whole shift of the way in which we're thinking about place or or, or facilities is is very very different. You, you know, you're talking about the hospital without walls, if you will. You know, and and so we've we've used these terms, but the fact that we haven't had great models. You know, I asked you earlier. You know, how where did you go to Get inspired about building Children's Hospital. You know wh- what were what were those places? What were those things that you got excited about to be able to, and, you know, come and, up with some of these ideas? Were they hospitals or were they other kinds of buildings? All kinds of buildings, including children's museums.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one big thing too that is a is a real paradigm shift is the the consumer is different.、Um, people that come to hospitals today. Um, want to learn and want to make decisions, and I do think that historically,、um, people came to hospitals in a very passive way. 
They came, I mean, my mother never questioned her doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother, if the doctor told her this is what's going on, that's what she did, she followed his instructions. Um, I tend to be a very interactive um, client to a doctor and I ask <laughs> questions. And I see that um, with the patients that we serve at Children's Hospital. More and more families are coming in, they wanna know why. They also want to be able to have an opportunity to make decisions because no longer does anyone believe that the only member in the hospital making decisions is the doctor. We very much believe that the patient actually is making the final decision, and that decision is being made with the support of the whole healthcare team. If you, if you change that paradigm about the environment, then you really do have to pay attention to creating an environment where those that you are caring for, teaching and supporting, feel that they have the space and the environment in which they can take some authority and decision-making. Mm -hmm. Now we're on the topic of staff. Do they provide better care? Are they in a better mood and provide better care when they're working in an environment that's comfortable and aesthetic? Or if they're in an old, obsolete hospital, are they grumpier and, you know? <laughs> Pay less we're attention to patients. Yeah, we're yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, again, the, the Center for Health Design, back in those early days where we started to bring people together to talk about things, we also said, what do you know, all right, and, and what can you measure, and what were the kind of things that you wanted to measure, um, and one of those that came up right away was patient satisfaction, um, and, and then, of course, there's staff satisfaction. And we see a lot of hospitals that might get the patient satisfaction part right, but they miss out on the staff satisfaction. You know, I was, you know, one of the hospitals, a great example in, in Texas, a nameless hospital because we might hurt some architectural architect's feelings. The, the, the beautiful lobby, you know, absolutely gorgeous, you know, with the, the honed marble and all the beautiful things. And then you go behind the scenes and you see where the staff, not just the, the nursing staff, but all the people, and there's a lot of people who work in these places, the kinds of environments that they're in were just dreadful, bleak, lighting's terrible. So we've got to look at all of those pieces of it, because like you said, if it's a holistic approach, we need to look at all those satisfaction pieces. But to answer your question, yes, there is research to show that um, in environments where, 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 where staff feel as if they have more control, they actually do have more control, um, the uh, places for them to go for respite, um, to get away from those you know, the, that environment that is you know, very, very stressful for them. Where do they go? Where's their playground? <laughs> do you know? So, so there's all of those pieces that, that need to be thought about. But yes, in fact, um, the... Um, the Center for Health Design, I'm not here you know, sort of plug the organization, but I'm so proud of the fact that they have compiled so much information on their website that any one of these issues about infection control or staff satisfaction or research related to anything related to health facilities, they have that information there. And um, a lot of white papers of research that was done by Roger Ulrich, a very famous um, uh, uh, person who has done research just on patients looking out a wall, you know, looking out a window and whether or not they have a wall to look out or they had, you know, a vista to look out. 
um, what the difference was in terms of not only patient satisfaction, but how much pain medication that patient used and a lot of other kinds of factors. So we're just beginning to learn about how this built environment can influence all these different people, all these different factors in, uh, in hospitals. I love your question about the care providers because I do think that when you're looking at those that provide care um, in environments for 8, 10, 12 hours, um, it is extraordinarily important that the environment supports them. The types of finishes you put on the floors, um, the width of the hallways, the ability to be able to move equipment around, the ability to be able to access the equipment so that people can get them to the patients that they're trying to take care of. Um, when we began the visioning for our um, future hospital that we open next year, we began with visioning around patient and family first, patient and family first, many, many focus groups. Right after that discussion, we moved to the care providers and talked about what do they need to be able to care for the children and families. Mm -hmm. Speaking to your question about um, where do they go to play, we did build beautiful or design beautiful staff lounges. Um, our current environment is horrible. Um, we've got a bathroom, locker rooms, and a couch in the same space. And um, I do believe that um, for nurses and doctors and respiratory care, care practitioners to take care of patients, they must be taken care of and the environment must support that. So in our new environment, we created very large staff lounges that are quite beautiful and we created quiet rooms for our staff. Um, meaning that um, the fact that we're moving into a time where we've got multiple generations in the same work environment. Um, we've got those young, darling 20-year-olds working right beside um, the nurses that are my age in their late 50s and 60s. And I don't really want to hear about their party last night. Um, and they don't want to hear about my grandchildren. So we did build um, staff lounges and we did build quiet spaces. So during a staff's personal time, during their rest and meal breaks, they can go into a quiet room and take a nap. They can go into a quiet room and read a book. Um, and we very much believe that to be able to care for the patients, we must take care of the workforce. And that really does feed into what you're saying. Yeah. One comment about that. It, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna do something and just do, you really only have to do a few things. Again, it comes back, and I'll say this again and again, uh, when you're interviewing, when you're programming um, staff, as well as whether it's the patients or the administration, their expectations typically can be very low. Uh, and so things like creating natural light, because they're used to being in the center of the building in the, in the dark space that's all artificially lit. So natural light is a really e uh, important thing to do, but it's tricky to do. You have to think about it. Um, g color, you know, why do, why do buildings need to be white? Because, they're at, because that's antiseptic, apparently. We learn that, and somehow that's really important. And now all of a sudden, color is, is a good thing. And I'm hoping that that's not just a trend that goes, that, a fad that comes and goes. And then, uh, and then I think things like we just did rubber flooring, recycled rubber flooring, and how easy it is on the feet when you're standing and moving all day long. These are not hard things to do, and yet... I do think as an architect, you want to uh, make the staff happy because they will tell you if you don't. Right. <laughs> and, and they will tell you if you do, after the fact. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Several years ago, Hill Country Health and Wellness Center up in Northern California, it's a small rural clinic, um, was, they were talking about doing a dental expansion. And James, the senior executives there, they credit you with turning the whole thinking around and creating what is a whole, it's a wonderful community resource center. And can you talk a little about that, you know, the model there and what you've been able to achieve with them with well, the they design? Well, really shouldn't, they really shouldn't credit us because our firm, because what happened was they approached us about doing a small uh, 4,000 square foot, relatively small 4,000 square foot dental expansion because that's where they were going to get money. That was where their uh, demand was. And we went up there and what we wanted to do is talk to them about making it a, a green building and a, and a creative building and to think as, you know, to push as hard as we could toward that, uh, you know, creating that sort of design goal. And we walked into this uh, conference room full of board members and we were completely taken aback because the first thing they started doing is hammering us about, what can we do? Can we do more than this? Can we make it green? How green can we be? Are you green enough? I mean, it, you know, so we were backing our way out of the building I and mean, we thought, okay, we're gonna have to race as hard and as fast as we can to keep up with this group of people. So it really starts with the with the, the, the mindset of the people that start the project. You can't change anything. As, I mean, I know as architects, we want to say we can make anything happen. But you can't do it without your, uh, the people that are in charge of that wanting to do something more. And so once that happened, it just sort of snowballed. They kept saying, what can you do? And I said, how much do you want to spend? And you know, you know how it goes. But it, it, that's more than a green facility. I mean, they were just going to do a dental expansion, and after talking with you, I mean, they really created the clinic of their dreams, you know, something that they had been envisioning I 20, think it, they just needed years. to have someone tell them they could do it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I think that, again, it comes back to that idea of, you know, people, when you're an architect and you go and you talk about a building, people have to think about, I've been somewhere that I really liked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't think of a clinic that they had been to. Mm -hmm. They couldn't. They, right. they said, let's see, what's the best clinic I've ever been in? It mm -hmm. didn't work, right? Mm -hmm. And so they, I started saying, let's talk about libraries. Let's talk about schools. Let's talk about buildings you just liked, houses that you liked. What did you like about them? And the more we talked, the more excited everybody got. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then it ended up being a 12,000 square foot remodel. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and, and I wasn't working the scope. I, I just, it wasn't that, it was, you know. But it, but I, I see you architects out there right. nodding, oh yeah, I've done that. Right. No, it's, it, but, but I think that, again, it came down to not having a sense that they could actually build a community center mm -hmm. and, and make it fit what they were trying to do. Right. And, but it meets the community's needs. So a teen center for a place for the kids to go and kitchens where local people can come and cook healthy meals or do canning. So it's a wonderful place. Um, sleep is an important part of the healing process, yet hospitals are notorious for being places where people can't sleep. Um, the IV pumps, nurses talking out in the hallway. How do the systems and people that are in hospitals, you know, they're there to help us, but how is that contributing, well, what impact is that actually having on people, and how, is how can design play a role in lowering the noise levels? Mm, noise, noise, it's everywhere, right. you know? Um, and 
I think we're, we're talking about the built environment, and I know you can talk about different kinds of materials, mm -hmm. and I'm sure the rubber floors mm -hmm. helped a lot, and there's different kinds of materials you can, you can use in earth. But I think one of the things that, that, that's so obvious, and, and we, we, we were talking about it just briefly, it's, it's, the, it's the human behavior. You know, it's, it's creating that, you know, that human environment. It's the organization. It's what is it that the organization values? How is it that, uh, that nurses in your hospital, for example, or any hospital for that example, that they realize that they're not supposed to be talking like this? That if it's a healing environment, what does that mean? That means that we you know, we might talk a little softer. You're going to have a good time because you've got cell phones and all those kinds of things for people to communicate, so they're going to be talking to one another. But people can still yell down the hall when they're holding a, you know, a cell phone or whatever. So I think so much of this um, relates to creating that, that culture, creating an organization that has these values. I know with Plane Tree, I'll just say this briefly, that as we were going out there trying to do innovation, trying to have patients have more control, patients reading their medical record, that, you know, it was just, you know, it was, it was like the end of the world was coming because people weren't used to doing these kinds of things. And that unless we created an entire organization that valued when we were creating sort of models or we were creating a unit in a hospital that was a certain kind of unit in a hospital, it would become the anomaly because the hospital cultures are so powerful, so powerful, they can, they can shoot you down <laughs> so fast, you know, if it's not. I mean, that's the thing, you spent $600 million building this beautiful hospital. And, and with play places and quiet places and everything. But unless there's a culture, unless there's an organization around that, you know, and we start talking about noise, but you can see where my passion is, you know, it's, it's going to be for naught because those things are not going to be used. Those things are going to be put over in the closet. The, the, the best architectural designs in the world can go totally belly up if you don't have the culture and the, and the organization valuing these kinds of architectural uh, um, so let me ask the, a question of the, the yeah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, you two a question, which is how much do you think that that behavior can change if the space that you're designing as an as the architect designing doesn't feel like the traditional hospital? Do you think that goes some way toward like, you know, you've seen uh, healthcare facilities where they try and create living rooms or, mm -hmm. you know, more, uh, less institutional feel. Does that, does that change the culture or does the culture have to change for that to work? It has to be, it has to be you know, integrated. Together, it has yeah. to happen at the same time. And unless that conversation happens early, early on, you know, before the architect is even hired, um, where you're, you talk about what kind of organization do we want to create here? What kind of culture do we want to have in this organization? Then you can find the architect that's going to be, you know, like yeah. yourself, that will come in and, and engage people in this conversation and, and say, yeah, we did some focus groups. How many did you do? Well, we did two. <laughs> you know, and you probably did 102 or 202. I, I think, I think um, the work is never done. Uh, the architects may leave, the contractors may leave, and yet the cultural change is an ongoing process. And good institutions are learning institutions, and they have a responsibility to test their assumptions and really find ways to continually improve things. We all use process improvement as a guiding principle around 
the, the treatment of diseases. We should be using the same guiding principles around evaluating the environment. Um, one of the guiding principles for us was about creating an environment that supported healing, and one of those guiding principles um, revolves around reducing noise. So we've got an ongoing process now of really being able to figure out how do we do this. We've added a tremendous amount of technology. The challenge is going to be um, assisting the workforce in that transition to the new space to drop their old habits and assume new paradigms of practice. And that is really, really hard mm -hmm. um, because people, I mean, just think about moving from your current home to a bigger space or a smaller space and you struggle with it. And we're talking about thousands of employees moving from an old environment into a new environment and that work of moving into that space really does require an investment in transforming the behaviors of people in the new environment and the continued monitoring, monitoring of that. One of the things we're seeing is a shift toward there's a higher percentage of private patient rooms in hospitals. I think you're doing it's like 85% yes. for, for children's hospitals. We, we see that for adults as well. Um, both children's hospitals and hospitals for adults, there are zones or overnight accommodations for family. How do we know that things like this work? Well, for us, um, there are a couple of things. One is um, the ability to um, reduce infection rates. Um, it is much better to be able to have single patient units um, so you're not at the risk of uh, cross-contaminating um, in the environment, even though you talk about the um, policies and the procedures around hand washing and airflow. We HEPA filtered the entire building to reduce the risk of spread of infection also, which was a significant financial decision to do that. Um, from a privacy standpoint, um, the private rooms works much, much better than semi-private rooms or ward rooms. Uh, we began our um, planning around all single patient rooms and we changed um, based on listening to our families. And those of you that have children in your homes, you know that children are only in the rooms by themselves when they're sleeping or if they've misbehaved and you've sent them to their rooms to think about what they've done. Um, our parents challenged us about all single patient rooms. Um, they said, why would I ever leave my child in a hospital that is scary mm -hmm. alone? Um, I've got other children at home. I've got a job. My child is in and out of your hospital all the time. My child needs a roommate. Um, based on listening to our families, um, we made the decision to build 80% private rooms and the remaining 20% as semi-private. Um, that will be um, uh, an evaluation that we will do and we believe we'll be contributing to your um, knowledge. Um, based on those assumptions that we made, we need to test, test them mm -hmm. and see how valid they are from all aspects of care. The answer I don't think we know yet. The Center for Health Design has the Pebble Project, which is a very important research project. Mm -hmm. Hospitals are documenting um, designs, results. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little about that, what you've learned from that so far about the, the evidence that well, exists that design helps? Yeah, the, the Pebble Project is, okay, you throw a pebble in a pond, right? And then it has all the ripples. So clever, huh? Mm -hmm. 
So the idea, the idea was to, uh, again, to bring together people who were doing construction, who were building hospitals. And, you know, for so many people, as you know, this is something that they've never done before. You know, I was a hospital CEO and, you know, I might have had the opportunity to, to renovate, you know, a unit or two or build a new medical office building, but not to build a $600 million dollar uh, hospital. You keep saying that. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just such an it's such an amazing number, you know. So it's, it's hard to get my head wrapped around it. The very um, what should I say? <laughs> uh, we keep reminding our yeah, board. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there must be some way to say that. Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's so the um, the Pebble Project is really bringing together people who are doing construction, doing new, new hospitals, so they can learn and learn from one another. And so so we are getting more and more research coming out of that. But in terms of the the single patient room issue, is is a huge one and was an example of this paradigm shift, if you will, to um, uh, get people on all levels to believe and have the research behind this to validate something that everybody who has ever been in a hospital ever in their life knows. Children's hospitals, one, but myself as an adult, I've been in the hospital many, many times. And I want to tell you, it was terrible having a roommate. One of my roommates died in the middle of the night. The other one was having lots of problems breathing and making all sorts of noises and I could not sleep. You just want to talk about healing and being sleep deprived. I know when I left the hospital I was sleep deprived when I got home. It was all I could do to go home and, and, and lie in bed. And not to mention the infection and, and all the kinds of things. So we knew this for a long time. Uh, I had the privilege of sitting on the AIA committee that develops the guidelines for the design and construction of healthcare facilities in almost all states in the United States. It took 15 years, eight years of which time I was on that board as a patient advocate and the only one on that board who wasn't an architect or, or a regulator or so, something, to have people passionately stand up and say, when are we going to have the guts to make this decision? And I want to tell you, there would be people who were my best friends who would stand up and say the stupidest things. <laughs> And, you know, and so what it was, it was when we finally get some body of knowledge and the Roger Ulrichs and people like that that would come together that we finally passed this last time that all new construction is going to have to be single patient rooms or recommended to be single patient rooms. Well, and Roger has told us at Children's Hospital Los Angeles that we've made a mistake. He absolutely believes that even it, he absolutely believes it should be all private rooms. Yeah. Um, so we, we've got some work to do to really determine um, if the semi-private um, concept is beneficial um, in a pediatric environment. Yeah. We've got and some and work again, to do. It's, that's the, the Pebble Projects, absolutely. the other people, you doing absolutely. your evaluation, you doing evaluations with, with your clients to see whether or not some of these decisions are are, um, uh, are, are, are true, do we believe these? But there was a lot of research behind the single patient room, not to mention just absolute common sense. Right. Proponents of good design in hospitals talk a lot about the fact that it helps patients recover faster so the, short, the patient's stay is shorter, they go home sooner because they're healing faster. Um, staff satisfaction is higher that translates into higher quality care to patients. Um, 
Does the Center for Health Design have information on that as well? Is, is there evidence on that? Or is that anecdotal at this point? Evidence on what? All those issues around status, status, status? Well, about patients heal faster, go home sooner when they're in a well-designed environment? Or is yep, that anecdotal? There, there is in some of the, the hospitals that are being mm -hmm. done now. Um, but we also have to think about what is some of the other research that we can learn from? What are some of the other disciplines we can learn from as well? There's a lot in the you know, social sciences that we can learn about mm -hmm. to make help you know, mm -hmm. uh, um, inform our decisions. I mean, when to talk about evidence-based design, it's, it's not that we have this absolute e evidence that says you absolutely, in a children's hospital in Los Angeles, you should have 100% patient rooms. Yeah. That, 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 that research does not exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would go one step further and say, who decides what's good design? I mean, when you say, okay, do patients heal more quickly? Do they have a, if they're in a good, well-designed building, what does that mean? Because I, I would tell you that marble floors in a lobby doesn't make a good design. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's, don't use marble, it's bad. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but, you know, who decides? I mean, I, mm -hmm. I'm sure every architect in here would be part of that, they, right? We'd all decide, we know what's good design, but who else knows what's good design? Actually, the truth of the matter is we don't agree as a, as a profession, and probably we're part of your problem. I'm so sorry you had to deal with all those architects for so many years, but I think that um, we have to figure out, we have to, we have to at least decide, and maybe it's on a project-by-project project basis, and I actually like the fact that you designed a hospital and went against what people were telling you was the thing now is the right way to go, because I think that's how you find out whether it works or it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have to push it and you find some things work and some things don't work. As architects, our firm, we actually go back to our buildings after the fact. It can be very sobering. But that's the only way we find out if we actually did something well or not. And people will tell you if you ask them. And we find out, okay, we did that was better than we thought and that didn't work as well. Mm -hmm. And that's how we find out I think that anecdotally is what we get. Mm -hmm. That's what good design is, and it is anecdotal. But after a period of time, you start to get a sense of what, what's good design. But I would challenge anyone in here to say, uh, okay, everyone in here, write down five things that you think are good design, and three of them in everyone's sheet will be different. Mm -hmm. How do architects and the healthcare providers work together on projects? I mean, so often when I've written stories and I've asked the architect, you know, what are the results? They don't know. It's like they've finished the project and they've gone home. But how do you continue to work together or learn from what you've done on a project? Well, I think, again, part of it is, um, you, know, you know, in a good project, you actually develop a relationship. It's kind of funny. When, we started, when I started in practice, I started designing custom homes. That's how every architect or most of us start, right? And you become friends or not. You know, with your with your clients, but you develop a very personal relationship. And when we get into commercial or institutional architecture, we sometimes lose that. As we do, you know, it's it's not as passionate for some of the people that are doing it. It's I got to get this built, and I have this much money. So sometimes, as an architect, you search out, or they search you out, and you find that connection where people actually are really passionate about it. And if they're passionate, then they'll tell you, and you'll find out. And you know, that, it, that's a case-by-case -case basis. There are a lot of architects out there that do follow up, mm -hmm. and there's some that are, you know, they move on. And we all move on, but you still want to check in every once in a while and say, how's that so-and-so working that we tried? And then they go, oh, not so well. Okay. Or, yeah, great. I want to stop, finish with that. Yeah, or great. Okay. okay. 
I think we drove the architects crazy at Children's Hospital Los Angeles because uh, we were very clear that we wanted the environment to feel welcoming. We wanted it to have a domestic feel so that families felt that they could come in and move in and and um, have an environment that they could um, be in. Uh, we wanted it to also um, have um, easy to clean. We had to be able to clean everything with 2% bleach. We wanted to make sure that we could turn over the room in 10 minutes. We wanted to make sure that um, the nurses could move equipment around. I mean, it was, and, but it was that process of um, mm -hmm. the frontline folks and the architects really problem solving together. And we expected them to bring to the table the experience and the knowledge they had from other environments. Um, they were not to be passive. They were to be very engaged in our conversation. And we were not to be passive in what we wanted for the future environment. So it was a very um, complementary, challenging environment. And the more challenging it was, um, the better the result, I believe, because we did come to um, decisions that we feel uh, will support what we're trying to accomplish. And we must study the environment post-occupancy. We must do that. But there's the life cycle of this whole process. You said this is 10 years, 10 right? 10 years. 10 years to do that. So by the time, 10 years, you're, you're the person who's followed this through and, and it's going to be another five years, 10 years down the line. You can see it the amount of time that it takes to get to the end of some of this evaluation to say, yes, this is some real definitive information that we've gotten out of this, out of this design. And that's part of the dilemma too, is that like you say, some of it is just really saying, what do we believe is the, is the best right answer at this moment in right. time, informed by right. the best information? Because you visited uh, 20, and, and I'm, I'm, always, right. I'm always pointing to you, no, visited you know, 20 different hospitals and museums and different places to mm -hmm. be able to do that. So, um, I also think yeah. that what, you, what um, Robin said earlier about um, using disciplines to help study um, is critically important. Um, at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, one of us, our, one of our psychologists, um, is helping us um, look at um, the the um, quality of the environment. Doctor, is Dr. Katz here, um, or is Dr. Sandy Sherman here? Dr. Sandy Sherman is at um, Long Beach, and she is a psychologist um, looking at their environment. And Dr. Ernie Katz is with us, and he is helping us look at our environment, really from. Um, the, the psychosocial aspect of healing, recognizing that um, the psychology is as important as the biology in creating an environment where people um, learn and heal. Mm -hmm. well, Does, I, say that, I just want to give a plug for in terms of research or, or resources out there in the world. Um, the, any of you who are in, interested in the, in the healthcare field should know about the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Absolutely. That organization is by far it's sort of the leading cutting edge authority on research and information that's out there on all the kinds of things related to um, saving lives. Um, uh, they, they've done so much in terms of you know, the infection control, just a whole plethora of information that is really valuable, valuable information that I think would be helpful for, for you to be aware of. So I just didn't want... Sure. The IHI has been very challenging to those of us in healthcare mm -hmm. um, because we just assumed that there were certain kinds of things that happen in hospitals and they have said why. And they have challenged us in the industry to address the why and ask the why again mm -hmm. to make sure that we have some substance in our decision making around um, the care of those that we serve. And it's a fabulous organization. Okay. Just think of that word why. 
You know, every time you, you, you approach something, you say, well, why? Why are you gonna, we're going to build a, a wall over here. Well, why are you going to do that? We're going to put a Why are you going to do that? It's to make sure that people understand and, and, and are challenged Absolutely. by asking that question. Why are we doing this? Because, again, most people in their lives and their careers as nurses, I'm sure, they've never seen a different hospital. Mm -hmm. right. The nurses at Children's Hospital have worked there for, you know, however long they have. They've never seen another example. So when they're asked to come in and do a vignette or do a this or do that, you know, they don't, they don't have any idea about how it could be different. Like right. you say, right. natural light. Well, I don't know. Do I need natural light? You know, mm -hmm. my work. Right. You know, I mean, and that, this is the kind of empowerment and issues that people need to, to bring up as well. Right. Do things like natural light, um, bigger patient rooms, you know, a thoughtful design, does it cost more? I mean, Robin keeps pointing out that the, the new facility is $600 million, but not everybody has $600 million to spend. Well, nor did we so, when we started. Right, right, right. Nor do we yet. Right. Uh, we are still fundraising. Right. Uh, if anybody wants to help us. Right. But how do you, how do you there justify that? There might be a donor that? opportunity there. Yeah, how do you justify that, and, and what sort of return? I, um, I actually, I think that um, the return will be measured over the, the life of the environment. Um, there, there is evidence um, already, particularly in the work that I know Dr. Sandy Sherman has done around natural lighting being therapeutic. We know that from her work. We know from her work that reducing noise is beneficial. We know from her work that um, nature is, has a healing component um, outside of the hospital environment. So why not address that in the hospital environment? Um, we also know that building a bunch of boxes um, in the old-fashioned way of building hospitals is not going to work for the consumers of the future. Um, people are not going to tolerate those ward rooms, those semi-private rooms where they are not getting well. People go into a hospital when they need to begin the journey of getting better, and the environment is going to support that. And we have an obligation in these um, pro um, um, processes to measure um, and to gather the anecdotal information and or the statistical information to be able to justify those investments. Would you like to add something? Well, I, I'm going to let everyone in on a little secret, and that is natural light and good sound and the right kind of color is actually really good in schools and office buildings <laughs> and every building that we do. And so, yeah, I know. So you, you got something out of this, right? And so the thing about it is there, you know, what is, again, it goes back to what is good design. You said a couple of things there. You said larger rooms. Well, more square footage, costs more money. Here's an interesting um, number that I, I keep coming back to all the time. Is good design environmentally friendly green architecture? Is that good design? 85% uh, of the cost of operating, of the total cost of your building, if you build a, a building that's say 50 or 60 year life, is in the energy use that you're gonna spend on the building, 85%. So that's, that leaves 15% that you're putting in. So if you're saying, should I put a little bit more durable material or a better insulation or better flooring or more windows in, Chris, you realize what that makes your $600 million building over 100 years. The point is though, you have to think about other things. things uh, so we, and we're stuck on this. You know, years ago we used to talk about life cycle 
analysis. And I, I don't know how many architects have tried to sell that to clients and they go, yeah, but how much is it going to cost to build the building? We never got anywhere on it. I, I mean, I didn't get anywhere on it. Uh, now you're starting to. People are going, you mean if I put solar panels on and I reduce my power usage or I have really good insulation, which is not a very, you know, no one gets excited about insulation. But you can reduce your costs and therefore you can spend more money on other things. That's how you sell it now. So good design is some things cost more, some things cost the same, and believe it or not, it doesn't take more money necessarily to move a building so that it faces the right orientation so that the sun comes in as indirect as opposed to direct. Mm -hmm. If you can do it, if you're not in a super urban environment, mm -hmm. if you can make those decisions, they don't cost more. So mm -hmm. I think you just have to put them into the category of if we mm -hmm. save money here, can we have those larger rooms? Mm -hmm. okay. Robin, did you have a final comment? No, I was just going to say we were talking about everything has to be you know looked at in terms of return on the investment. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'll put on my hospital administrator hat here for a second and say, you know. Show me what is the return on the investment of making these kinds of decisions, you know. And um, so I think that that everything that we look at, I mean, just infections alone. I mean, right. what it was? What's the, the statistics? Like 15 million people a year get get infections in hospitals. You know, not only what is that the cost to, mm -hmm. you know, the, the hospital. What is the cost to the, you know, back to the community? Mm -hmm. You know. Think you know this hospital is part of this community, right. and the more we can we can all think that way rather than these buildings. But it's it's something that's part of the community, and so in terms of the return on investment, it has to be there. The research is there to drive the information and the design process, and you know, and then we end up with a beautiful hospital. So the answer was no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're out of time on this part of the program. Thank you. Oh my goodness, out of time already? First is, we are living in a very diverse um, population, so I'm curious, did you take that into consideration um, in terms of looking at it, in terms of health? What does health mean to different communities? And therefore, is that how we build the hospitals? And secondly, we all know that food is an issue. And therefore, was that taken into consideration, I guess, for children's hospital, but just in general, um, how we deliver food and what does food mean in terms of health and then in terms of architecture. Thank Los Angeles is one of the most diverse cities in the whole world. And we serve um, all cultures and all religious backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And we have a strong commitment in um, the delivery of care that we are attentive to the cultural values of the families that we are caring for. Uh, we use a lot of complementary medicine, we use a lot of, of alternative treatments, um, and that is embraced in the delivery of care. And as we designed the space, um, the theme, if there is a theme at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, it is my LA, my CHLA meaning that this is a city for everyone. Uh, we have signs in multiple languages. All wayfinding is in both Spanish and in English. 70% um, of our families speak Spanish. Therefore, we are using that as a primary language in wayfinding. Our education is um, provided to our families in about 50 different languages every single day. Um, so we are paying attention to that. Food, our children order their own food. Um, the doctors uh, um, order a diet and um, we have room service. 
Um, so we were able to um, address the, the preferences of the child um, by them selecting the food based on what is um, within their um, actual diet. Um, one important thing about natural lighting is our current um, gathering place for food is in the basement of our current environment and people feel like they're going to the dungeon for a meal. Um, we now, in the new building, will have our dining space um, on the first floor with four to ceiling natural lighting. And it is one of the more exciting things, um, not only for our children and our families, but also for the employees, the fact that they're gonna be able to be in a dining space mm -hmm. um, that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and it also includes outdoor dining. Hi, I'm Susan Painter. And I'm a psychologist, and I'm actually the research director at AC Martin Partners, which is an architecture firm downtown. And I have a question for you about the um, research agenda. I have been following this field for a long time, and a lot of the conversations about research and healthcare begin and end with Roger Ulrich's studies. <laughs> and, you know, I know Roger, and I respect his research, but it seems to me that in the amount of time that since he started, since his first research got started, that we would have developed more research and more evidence than we have now. And one of the people up here said, you know, hospital culture is extremely powerful. It takes a huge amount to go against that. Um, we, what I would like to know is, what is the research agenda that the Center for Health Design or this other organization is, or the Children's Hospital LA is using. And I'd like to know what specific data Children's Hospital of LA is gathering now in the pre-occupancy period mm -hmm. that will be used um, in the post-occupancy period so that we can have a direct comparison. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually are doing, um, Dr. Um, Sandy Sherman did her doctoral work on the environment of care um, for children um, at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. She is based now at um, Long Beach Children's Hospital. Uh, and um, she was looking at the healing environment for children with cancer. Uh, we are using that work um, um, as pre-occupancy and we will be um, also addressing that work post-occupancy um, in the new environment. Um, Dr. Sherman is very clear about the fact that there is a great deal of work to do. Um, and Dr. Ernie Katz, who's at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, will be assisting us in looking at um, the environment for the neonatal population as well as the pediatric population, as well as the PEDS ICU environment. Um, I, I really do believe that we're in a very beginning stage of, of study and I do believe that it's everybody in this room has an obligation mm -hmm. to look at, at finding new knowledge. Um, um, the doctors and the nurses are responsible to use evidence in our delivery of care. We expect people that are looking at the environment to use evidence in, in helping guide those decisions. And there, there are ways to move through it. And we're really, it, we're way more sophisticated in bench research than we are in this. But we do need to gather together and challenge each other around what's being done and how to move forward. And you've done so much work. Well, and, 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 and it's, a, it's a, actually, it's, um, 
embarrassing it at some levels that, you know, we're still talking about Roger Ulrich. Okay? Um, and uh, some of that, you know, probably dates me a little bit. Um, but it was so profound that that original research, you know, presented itself to us. And, wow, what did, what did that, you know, what did that mean? So, you know, I would suggest, I mean, you make a really good point that I think, you know, the Center for Health Design, you know, it, it has research committees, it, it encourages people to come together, it has pebble projects, it does conferences. We do all these kinds of things. So I invite you um, to, to, to please, um, you know, bring your ideas. Um, if you have ideas, if there are things we've already talked about, wanting to reel in a little bit more about what's happening at Children's Hospital. So anybody out there, we are you know, we're advocates, if you will, for trying to draw information out from as many different disciplines, as I said, as possible to be able to create this body of knowledge and information. So we, next group of people who come up here in however many years, you know, we'll have a lot more to say. Right. I, I'd like to add something to that too, which I think, um, you know, we shouldn't limit this research, the idea of doing research to the right way to do healthcare. The research can, in, of, of other types of buildings can inform healthcare. And I think sometimes we suffer um, as a society and I think as a profession, architects, of this idea of we have to be specialized. And I think mm -hmm. that you might go out and find, and I said this earlier, you might find a library or a school that has as many lessons as possible for that hospital as you know, the studies that have been done about the 15 or the 20 really special hospitals in the United States. You, and that cross-pollination is really important. And it, does, it doesn't happen. When, when we're, we're designing a school right now, and we wanted, to, we wanted to do something really special with the school, and it was our first school and it's going to be hopefully a lead platinum 77,000 square foot school in a community that never should have had something like this. And the first thing that was said is, so who was your school architect? And well, we hired this guy and he's never done a school before. <laughs> and, but what I found was when I was going through and taking a look at it, okay, well, so what is the conventional thinking on color design? Mm -hmm. There is none. There's like one article yeah. that everyone keeps referring yes. to. And one of the problems Dr. is... Wagner, whoever was, right? <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, we didn't follow that. Okay. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> but one of the things that I think is interesting is architects or designers. I, I refer to uh, engineers, anybody who is creative that's involved in the building process. We're like uh, mad scientists. And, but we don't document. You know, we do our mad scientist thing. And if we're really creative and really... Um, get into it and we're really good at what we do, we do it and we feel good about ourselves and maybe some people feel good about us and maybe the roof leaks and, or doesn't. And then we go on, but we don't write it up or we don't talk about it and it's not followed up. So there has to be that. There has to be that follow. And it has to be not just healthcare. It has to be all those different buildings informing each other. My name is Carrie Ugent and I have a small company that does medical equipment that are, that are designed by patients and nurses. And while I feel we've made so many incredible strides in everything you've discussed with the with healthcare design, there's this missing link, and that is the equipment that the patients are attached to or, or interacting with. And you've all touched on some aspects of that. So if on the way to the healing garden, uh, the patient is tripping over a filthy, rusty IV pole that's about to tip over and yank their cords out, there's something lost <laughs> there. And the problem my small company is facing is that purchasers aren't engaged in this discussion, which is a part of 
of healthcare design and patient-focused design. And all I hear is if it doesn't save us money or, or save lives, that comes after save money for some reason, um, then, you know, we're not interested. So my question is, what? how can we transfer this discussion to to hospitals that can't tear down the walls or put in natural light or put in HEPA filters or even the brand new centers that are gorgeous but then all this antiquated equipment is hooked to the patient. Um, how, how can we move this discussion to that realm? Well, well. you probably <laughs> had a chat with a lot of different uh, people who make all sorts of different equipment. How did you make a decision in your hospital about that? Uh, we actually, all of our decisions um, um, had a multi prong approach to the decision makers. Um, um, all, all equipment, all supplies um, um, are decided upon by frontline workforce. So we have, we have um, teams of um, nurses and respiratory care practitioners and physicians involved in the evaluation of every piece of equipment that we selected for that building. Um, and and that, is, that is not an easy effort. I mean, we're talking about overbed tables. Um, yeah. the, the, the people that made the decision about overbed tables were nurses and parents. Um, and um, the vendors brought them in, and we tested them, and we moved them around. Um, chairs, um, same thing. Now, um, uh, the, those, pro those decisions are very challenging because you're working with a budget and you're trying to figure out how you maximize um, the spend rate to be able to equip and um, outfit an entire building. But we, we, have, um, we have teams that make those decisions. And you know, it's been interesting to see how many different manufacturers that have risen to the occasion, seriously. Uh, uh, slowly, but in an impressive way, you know, when they figure out that they can make some money from, from doing this kind of healthcare work, um, that not, we're, we're not traditional people who were the Nimshoffs and the, you know, what have you, that really have gotten, and I, so I encourage you in your small business, I mean, that's where the innovation usually comes from, is from, you know, people in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, sort of making these decisions. My name is Connie Forrest, I'm a psychologist and a designer. And um, I just want to make a point that sometimes we're talking in, you know, about huge things, like huge expenditures, um, mm -hmm. and, and thinking in very huge terms. But I think very often there are much smaller things that make a big difference if you're designing a space. Mm -hmm. For example, um, I did a training in the neonatal intensive care unit at UCLA, and because I'm a designer, I was very interested in the interface between the nurses and the families and the babies. And um, I began to ask the staff some questions about the design of the space. And they said that when the space was designed and built, nobody interviewed the staff. Mm -hmm. And one of the major problems they had was that the electrical outlets mm -hmm. were all at the floor. And they're constantly throughout the day unplugging and plugging equipment all day long. So they needed it at a reasonable height, but nobody thought to interview them. So I just wanted to make that point that we can be thinking so big and about big costs, but in some ways it comes down to taking the time to interview 
the users Absolutely. and really follow them, mm -hmm. observe them, see mm -hmm. what they do, and ask those questions, which are not going to make a difference in cost, but make a huge difference in the way the space is used and patient outcome, too. Yeah. And, it, and there's so many hospitals out there in the world who are never going to be, you know, redone. Uh, I'm, you know, whatever the numbers, it's lots of them, you know. And so how do you take these older hospitals that are, you know, don't have or have the plugs in the wrong place, what are the kinds of things that we can come in and do that don't cost a lot of money, but again, with the common sense kinds of decisions? I know in the first plane for units we did, the shelf was in the wrong place, so the patients could never see the beautiful flowers that people could bring in. So we just took the shelves and we put them so the patient could look at them. You know, so it's, there are those kinds of decisions that don't, you know, don't cost right. a lot of money to do that so many people out there in the world have, ha, need to be thinking about to be able to make those uh, small changes um, that can make a big impact. One of the things you said which is really important is something that isn't done very often. You said follow the staff around. Mm. Um, it goes back to that thing that, you know, programming is a really important part mm -hmm. of, for an architect, it's our, you know, it's our Bible when we start. It's our rule of our instructions. And as I've said before, often, even if you talk to the staff, they don't know what they don't know. Or they don't even think about sometimes how they operate every day. Going there and watching them, although it can be a little labor intensive, there are a lot of architects that don't do that. But all of a sudden, you'll see, you know, do you know that you circle around all the time because you want to avoid that mm -hmm. thing because it's always really crowded and you probably walk twice as far every day? And they go, no, I, I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. So that's a, I want everyone to get that. That was a great, great point that you made. Mm -hmm. Follow people around. Well, and I just want to say, before I ever would hire an architect, I'd make them spend the night in the hospital. <laughs> that's a great idea. What are you doing about nursing homes? That's part of the organization, mm -hmm. oh, and that's mm -hmm. going to be a much big segment of the population, and rehab centers, which in hospitals are ugly. Mm -hmm. So are we putting any time and effort into that segment of the population? Because the return on investment a lot of times is that acute care patient, is it not? And uh, that's where, you know, sometimes some of the money goes. Um, again, I... The um, AIA guidelines have done a decent job of now having those guidelines, which were never even in the guidelines, okay? It was all about the hospital, okay? And we said, hey, you know, let's, okay, let's be bright. We've all gone to school. There's a thing called the continuum of care, you know? Let's start thinking about what are those things that we can do with respect to nursing homes and guidelines for nursing homes and design and what have you to do that. And, you know, I think there's just that, you know, are there any really good examples out there? Well, I would say if you were going to use a word and it was going to be know? a bad word to describe a hospital, you, the word I would use would be confusing. I mean, I don't know about anyone in here, but I get lost every time I go to a hospital. Now, I know that's not universally true, but if you thought about it, it is a stressful environment, and if you haven't been there before, it can be very nerve-wracking. If you want to use a single word to describe what you're talking about, which is the, that it's dehumanizing. And, and frankly, uh, one of the first jobs I had out in California was working for an architect who was building these or rehabbing these uh, facilities all over the state, and it was horrible. And it, it, because it was, it's a, you know, it was a profit center, it was 
figuring out how much money and how large they would be. And we really haven't done a good job. And I think your question is well taken. How many examples? I'm sure there are. My name is Natalie Miller, and I've just been a patient of hospitals. So for all of you people, my biggest problem as a patient was the lighting. Um, just, it was so horrible being in the fluorescent lights all the time. And I was only in for six days. And when I left, I was sleep deprived and I was miserable. I felt like I was green. And for those people that have to be in the hospital for months at a time, I couldn't even imagine like, and, and I was at Cedars and I felt mm -hmm. awful. Also mm -hmm. the lack of sleep, you know, with the nurses coming in to take mm -hmm. your blood every two mm -hmm. hours and your EKG and all of this, you can't mm -hmm. sleep in a hospital. You mm -hmm. have to take a vacation after you get out of the hospital to actually heal from the hospital. Yeah. What, I mean, and the nurses don't read your book. Like I had a blood clot and they were putting a tourniquet on my arm to take blood. So these are all aspects of a civilian looking at hospital care. And Cedars is supposed to be one of the best hospitals mm -hmm. in the nation. And granted, the surgeons were phenomenal, mm -hmm. but the care itself was horrible. The food was horrible. Everything, it was the worst experience of my life. And <laughs> I had to, luckily, this, like I said, the surgeons were so good, I got better. So I was able to get out of there pretty quickly. Yeah, and heal. But overall, like, is that something that you said that you ask the nurses and you ask the people and you do, you know, ask some of the patients that are in there, but how in-depth of research do you really do on that aspect before building a hospital? Or I know that the, the in, in the, um, the conditions for the employees need to be a certain level for them to be happy, to make the patients happy. And I felt that no one was happy. <laughs> and I don't, like, what are we doing for that? That's why we're doing this work. <laughs> I mean, that's, you're, you know, I, I think, are you the last person to ask a question? Yeah. You know, I mean, that is why you're doing what you're doing. That's why I'm doing it. That's why you're doing That's why all of you, I'm sure, are doing the work that you're doing, is to make sure that even the best hospitals in the world you know, and I could mention a whole lot of other hospitals that have big names that, whoa, you want to go there, wait a minute, you know, it's, so it's not, you know, I, it's not just a certain hospitals or certain types of hospitals where these issues arise, it's, it can be almost anywhere, and that's why, speak up, you know, write a letter to the CEO of the hospital, <laughs> let them know, you know, hey, you know, we're, in, we're, empower ourselves to be able right. to give that information. I'm sure you would, you'd love to get that kind of feedback from anybody. Actually, and, I don't you know. love to get that kind of well, feedback. Well, I know. <laughs> but, but, but we need to get that kind of feedback. Um, um, hospitals should be learning environments, and um, it is... Um, based on the things that go well and the things that don't go well, and I'm very sorry um, for the experience that you had. That is not the experience that I'm sure Cedars wants to have for their patients, nor is it the experience that any of us in hospitals want to have for our patients. Um, but we do have an obligation to learn and get better. And I also believe that in hospitals, um, all of us believe that we're going to be better tomorrow based on feedback than we were today. And we're better today than we were yesterday. So that feedback matters. Um, it's important to direct it in the appropriate way. And mm -hmm. um, we do get that disappointing feedback on occasion. 
um, and that information is regarded very seriously, and we do strive to learn from it to make sure it doesn't happen again. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you.